0: This is an Itch Your Break production, so sit back and take a break. Welcome to Itch Your Break. Hi, I'm Jonathan Mertz, and coming up on today's show, we're going to be talking to the mind behind a powerful documentary called Growing Up Milwaukee, which is available on HBO Max. Well, what is it all about? And why is it so powerful? You'll find out next here on Itch Your Break. It's Your Break will return right after this. Subscribe to the It's Your Break Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, YouTube, and iHeartRadio. And now, back to It's Your Break. Welcome back to It's Your Break. Hi, I'm Jonathan Mertz. And like I said earlier, today's episode is going to be focused around a documentary that you can watch right now on HBO Max. It's called Growing Up Milwaukee, and we have the mind and the creator behind it, Tyshawn Wardlaw. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: You know, before we get talking about your, your documentary, which is very powerful, by the way, I would like to get to know you if it's okay.
1: Awesome, awesome. So a little bit about me, I am um, an entrepreneur, which I started on my entrepreneurship journey uh, six years ago with uh, creating uh, Law Productions, which currently has an office uh, that just opened up in uh, Wicker Park in Chicago, and we have an office as well as in Milwaukee, um, where we do uh, feature docs, which once again, we'll talk about today, our first feature doc that uh, was released through the company, um, as well as featured narratives, short films, and also branded uh,
0: content so you grew up in in Wisconsin as well that's very interesting um, so where what part of Wisconsin did you are you from?
1: So I was born um, and raised in Milwaukee. So uh, born and raised in Milwaukee. However, I call myself a uh, self-proclaimed floater uh, because right after high school, I moved out to the West Coast uh, to attend undergrad at Santa Clara University, and then after that, um, I moved back to uh, the Midwest in anticipation in working in Chicago. Actually, for the Oprah Winfrey Show, but that kind of got pushed back. So um, I made a detour in news production um, at the CBS affiliate. And then I was an associate producer uh, for the ABC um, affiliate uh, here in Milwaukee, transferred out of news, got into the talk show world, moved back over to California um, to work on the Jeff Pro show that got canceled. So then I moved back. So th- this is all the floating. Um, I moved back to uh, Chicago to work on the Steve Harvey show and then also do some freelancing um, as a producer for other uh, television production companies in Chicago. And then that's when I decided, you know what, I'm not going to wait. This is about 2015. And I said that I'm not longer, I'm no longer going to wait on contracts, that I'm going to be my own. So then that's when uh, Wort Law Productions was born.
0: Oh, that's very, very interesting. So, has like film and, and, and videography in the cinematic, even in the cinematic world, was that, has it always been your passion? Did you want to be that as a kid or was, was your dream something different as a kid?
1: Um, Interestingly, um, and now when I, when I think about it as an adult, like how I thought that I wanted to go to the business school because I wanted to be a manager. Uh, so, I assumed that, you know, you had to go to school for business and, you know, kind of work your way up in the business world as a manager. But my love for um, actually for Philly, and wanting to get into the entertainment industry actually happened, I can say now by purpose, but I thought at the moment by default um, when I was coming home one summer from California and um, we were filming actually in Milwaukee, um, Mr. 3000, which is dating me like many, many years ago with Bernie Mac. Um, They were using the newly built Brewer Stadium. And I had the opportunity for a few months when they were in Milwaukee to actually work as um, an extra casting assistant. And from that moment, I absolutely loved it. It was intense. It was like 12 hours. And then if we were actually at the stadium, it was about 16 hours worth of filming. So from that experience going into my sophomore year, I decided that I actually wanted to focus in on television and film. And do something in that world. So I stayed in the business school. However, I focused all of my work experience, then, you know, out uh, moving forward uh, in something in television. So, like, I had an internship at NBC 11 um, at a news station in San Jose before I moved back to the West Coast. I mean, not West Coast, but to the Midwest to actually, um, you know, interview for a paid position um, at the Oprah Winfrey Show for an internship. Um, So that was kind of like my course on how I got into it.
0: Oh, that's very, very interesting. <laughs>
1: That yeah, it's so cool. it was kind of by chance. And then from there, kind of focusing in on um, wanting to actually work in the talk show world, but then making a default into news. So really my background kind of focused um, in the beginning um, before I became a filmmaker. I was actually more in like the production, um, the producing ram of things and kind of working my way up um, in the producer ram. But then that's, like I said, I decided that I was no longer going to wait on any more contracts and I was going to be my own. And so then that's when I went full force to, to want to be able to create my own content. Um, and so that's when I actually got behind the camera um, and less logistics, even still I produce for my own stuff, but uh, focusing on, on on directing as well.
0: I kind of had a similar experience, you know, I started radio when I was 16, I'm, I'm, I'm 41 now. And, and so, you know, we had a, a shadow business class. So I got to shadow one of the radio stations and that's kind of how I got my start. So getting that experience and getting around that environment, I totally understand what, you, what you're talking about. Because when you're in that environment, you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really, really fascinating. Fascinating. Why did you decide to start making documentaries?
1: Um, well, I wanted to to first and foremost, once again, create my own content. But it just happened that I wanted to focus on when I became a little bit more stationary and uh, stayed more in the Midwest. I wanted to focus on the issues that were happening right in my hometown. And I noticed, unfortunately, that uh, Milwaukee has very staggering statistics when it's um, concerning mm-hmm. the, the black community. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's ranked in the last few years the worst place for blacks to live and actually grow up um, statistically um, in Milwaukee. Uh, they have high incarceration rates of black and uh, brown uh, men um, and, and which are staggering as well. Uh, as far as like the education um, disparities, like all of these things. Um, so I wanted to focus on it from a doc perspective because I wanted to tell the stories behind the statistics. And I didn't want to do that in a narrative format because I wanted to follow the lives of black inner city youth and actually see what it means for them to grow in, uh, grew up in the city day in and day out. Um, but actually I also did a narrative piece while I was preparing for the documentary and raising funding and getting my name out there as a company, um, which was a narrative piece. Also, uh, Focusing in on issues that were happening in Milwaukee um, with human trafficking, they're also known, unfortunately, as a, a top human trafficking hub. But I looked at that story from a narrative perspective because I wanted to be able to um, add a little bit more of a, a dramatic feel to it um, and write the story. But that did require like intense research because I just didn't want to just assume that I knew, you know, what could pos- potentially happen in a human traffic situation. So I had to do in-depth research, but um, wanting to. To actually do a documentary uh, stem from wanting to tell the stories behind the statistics in my city.
0: I've got more follow-up questions just to your study and, and, and how, the, how these things develop. but. Let's just start talking about because I mean it seems like everything that we're going to go for is going to revolve around a lot around your documentary. So for those that don't know, we mentioned it a few minutes ago. It's it's growing up Wisconsin, uh, excuse me, growing up Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and it is a very powerful uh, documentary, and, and so much so that I I'm going to be honest with you, I was in tears in certain points wow. points of it, and it, because um you know. Markel, Mark and he, you know, he mm-hmm. got my attention right off the bat, and he's he's one of the the, the three the three teens mm-hmm. that you kind of have focused on mm-hmm. in, in that documentary, and and seeing some of his hardship mm-hmm. is 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 just eye opening, you know, and, and for because you you don't know unless you live those mm-hmm. lives. Um, when you were developing this documentary or any documentary, what are your processes to put in and and, and to really develop? these types of stories?
1: Well, um, actually the Grown Up Milwaukee documentary was my first uh, feature as well as a documentary. But the approach that I took with that was once again, I wanted to tell the stories of black inner city youth, but I also wanted to do it from an observational standpoint. So I decided early on, even before we selected the future uh, youth and everything that I didn't want to just give a timeline of why is all these statistics happening how did we get there so I didn't want it to be information based I wanted to be story and emotion driven um, so I had to decide that very early on um, because that was going to be the base of my story as well as my outline so um, with taking that approach um, as soon as we got funding um, immediately I approached youth-based organizations to uh, see if and I hate to say casting call because once again this is a documentary but um, to actually put fillers out to say do you know of any youth um, that are dealing with issues or you know may have uh, some things that are surrounding some of the statistics that are coming out of Milwaukee, because I would love to film with them and possibly you know even have a transformation um, on camera because I wanted to be very uh, transparent and honest with the youth um, even before we started filming. That you know, I want you to be able to tell your unedited truth the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so, I want to be just kind of like a fly on the wall, I want to observe you. I don't want to you know Hollywood, the story, and, and I know with a documentary, it is like less produced, you know, than a narrative um, where you don't know exactly how the story is going to unfold until you're actually done, you know, with the footage and or um, however you structured your your documentary as far as presenting the information. Um, so I did use that um, off top that I wanted to observe them and allow the story to unfold that way. So that's how I did it, and then from there I inserted um, experts to talk about. Some of the issues that the youth were facing, and that we see unfold on camera.
0: Yeah, one of the statistics that I thought was just astronomical, and 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 I can't believe it, but it's thirty two percent, thirty two percent of 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 African American men do not graduate. Mm-hmm. Period in, in in Milwaukee, that's staggering. Mm-hmm. I so. Is it just they? They they. What? Why are they so proportionately not being able to graduate? Because I don't I, know if I grasped that real, real well.
1: And I think unfortunately, it's it's some of the conditions um, that have been presented, whether that's home and and a lot of things that I even learned when I was filming. I believe it's called uh, trauma informed care, and I hope I, I said that correctly, but. Um, the youth are facing so much, um, that may have an effect even on their education, um, that they have special classes and, and different things that I would have never even imagined when I was in high school. And whoa, I'm like super dating myself for that because that was like 20 years ago. Our 20th anniversary is like next, is next year. Um, and so just to realize that the youth are facing so much, um, and unfortunately those home, um, circumstances, uh, affect, you know, this, these trauma that they're dealing with affects how they, they receive education. It affects how they learn. Um, so some of them, you know, either, uh, you know, they're working as we saw with some of those youth, like a youth even said, like, you know, I'm literally fending for myself. Like I work hours. You know, day in and day out, um, I you know I come to school when I can because I'm more concerned about you know taking care of myself. Like my mom, my dad isn't there, Um, so it's just so many um, internal factors um, that are contributing, unfortunately, to those staggering statistics.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just I just couldn't imagine you know Mm -hmm. hearing those numbers. I'm like, whoa, you're not you're telling me way less than even fifty percent or even. You know, graduating, and, and even at 50%, it's way, way too low. You know, even 80%, in my opinion, is too low. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that, that, you know, it, I don't know. It, I'm going to get tongue-tied because it's, it's mm-hmm. such a shock to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, but, you know, even the facts that you, got, you had mentioned this earlier too, and it's in your documentary, that w- Wisconsin, the state – has the highest incarceration rate mm-hmm. of brown and black people. Mm-hmm. And and to me that in that it's per capita and statistically mm-hmm. and that you know that is just you know to me that that's shocking too because you see them more as consider them more of a northern state, you mm-hmm. know, in across that Mason Dixon line. Of course I'm in Kentucky, so you know, I know some of the, the the divides my in my rural county in that I grew up in in Henry County there was one town that had ninety percent to ninety five percent of all African Americans and Hispanics, and wow. outside of in, in in the in the rest of the county, you didn't see any other 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 people of color, you mm-hmm. know. So, I, you know, growing up, I seen some of this, and I, and I got you know I was fortunate enough that I was in the town that had this you know this mixing, mm-hmm. but other people in in that county didn't even see anybody till they came to eminence you know, for the first time, maybe at five or six or, you know, because not all, not everybody goes to, to that town of eminence. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it is a still a divide out there and people don't realize how, how divided sometimes we are and how segregated we are, even though there is no, technically by law, no more segregation. Um, what do you think is the main cause of this? Is it just geographical? Is it old tradition? Is it uh, you know, what do you think from seeing all the research you've done and, and everything? What is causing these kind of divides?
1: And, and, and I believe it's, it's a combination of, of a little bit of everything. Um, and, and, I think also, um, Ava DuVernay's 13 kind of really hit it home on how profitable, you know, the prison system is. And that's just mm-hmm. across the U.S. And, and I, I would, you know, be remiss if I said like Wisconsin didn't benefit from that. Um, because these are private prisons and institutions, um, you know, that are, uh, housing and, and some of these offenses are, are very, and I'm not saying that one offense is, is greater than the other. Um, but some things are very minor, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, the staggering statistics will say that, you know, Uh, Out of so many uh, groups of men, like probably 50% of these men will be in prison at some point for something. Um, And you really have to look at that and say, you know, is that beneficial? Um, And I know here in Wisconsin as well, um, even from a few people that um, I've worked with in the film, that they're working on, you know, alternatives to that uh, prison, you know, pipeline system to say, how can we do more reform versus, you know, locking them up? Um, and just sending them away. And then the prison system, um, is very profitable. So it's, I believe that it's a, it's a lot of factors. Unfortunately, um, that's going to take quite some time, um, from all type of levels, whether that's the, the city level, the state level, the federal level, um, to really key in and, and change that problem because it is a very profitable business. And unfortunately, uh, sometimes it's over a, a lot of people' pay grades. So, um, you know, it's, it's still happening.
0: It's staggering to watch the news sometimes too, because mm-hmm. like I'm outside of Louisville, Kentucky. So we get all the news, our news sources from Louisville and, and you can watch the West end of Louisville, which is typically mm-hmm. our higher African-American Brown population uh, and black population are right in that, in that area. And it's just like news story after news story. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you hear about violence. You don't hear from any other, other ends mm-hmm. of the towns or the community and your documentary also focuses on how the, the media just focuses on certain narratives mm-hmm. and it doesn't tell other stories. And I, I I totally understand that because I'm like, I want more positive news. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get it. You want to tell what's happened as a tragedy, but, mm-hmm. you know, well, let's focus on some of the good so we can spread some good. You know, good influence mm-hmm. is good, in my opinion. It, it, it makes people want to do more. What do you think is the major problem with news and how they cover? any given story or even African-American and brown people all across the globe.
1: Um, the thing that I think, and, and also, you know, being close to a, a large market like Chicago, and I think that's number three, or if, if it hasn't changed in the news market, sometimes it's just straight hard news, you know, news coverage. Um, there's, you know, they'll throw in a light and fluffy story every now and then that you may see a local package, but it's all about the bottom line. It's about reporting, getting the first, um, you know, and I worked in the news industry, um, you know, getting the first information, being the first one to break the story. And sometimes those breaking stories, may not be, um, you know, as beneficial as a lighter and fluffy community story would be, but it's about the bottom line, even in the news industry, um, unfortunately. And that's across markets, whether it's a major market, a smaller market. Um, And so most news stations tend to go towards that harder news, breaking news, you know, updates. Um, And then they'll probably pad the up, you know, the rundown with a few fluffy things for the kicker um, at the end of the show or, or the middle of the show. But I think sometimes it's all about the bottom line and who can get the story first or the exclusive first. And I think, you know, even as uh, communities across the U.S. that we need to start focusing in on, you know, how do we change the narrative uh, besides what how we've reported it even over the last few years? Why don't I mean over the you know last decades, like why don't we get different perspectives um, even because, you know, I think it's the news cliche where it's like, OK, they're going to wait to talk to the worst person to be able to get, you know, the footage from or the right. inside scoop on like you couldn't bring in an expert to talk. About that, but you know, sometimes network news, you know, they're known for that. They're not going to pull, you know, citizens off the street. But I think it's if we take the time uh, to really show and and be concerned about how we're telling these stories uh, versus being uh, concerned about who's breaking the news first or who's getting the most uh, news coverage, that I think it it will be a change. And then also, if we have Um, people of color that's making decisions as well about how the news are being reported. I know that this one thing, like when I was in the news industry um, over 12 years ago, you know, there was not that many uh, women and or men of color, um, you know, in those boardrooms, news directors and things of that nature. So I also think that that's beneficial um, to have people in place that could say, you know what, we're going to uh, learn how to be able to tell this story in a different way that's beneficial for everyone um, who's viewing it. And everyone who the story is about.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it, if you don't have representation, you can't really relate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You may know some facts or things from anything you may have read. You may have had <laughs> friends, or you may even had some interaction in a degree. But you know, until you walk into somebody's shoes, you're not really going to know what they're what they've been through or how they've been through. Absolutely. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. And, so and representation and, is important. Uh,
0: Absolutely, absolutely. it is. And there's things that we just don't think about sometimes, you know, that that can be insensitive, and we really don't know that it's insensitive or it, it you know, or just out of out of character, you know and and I think a lot about these things myself. And one of the things I think about is how do we, as as a community, you just get together and and come to a resolve. You know, one of the questions is like right. I always have is like, okay, yeah, so shut, so shut so, some of so, so, but why did they really get to that? Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it you know is it drug related? Is it is it a a a, a spousal feud? Is it mm-hmm. you know a jealous ex lover? is, You know. But why were we there in the first place? You know, what led us to these positions? Why are we so enraged with each other? I don't care who you are, what color skin color. Mm-hmm. Why do we get to these points that lead us down these paths that make us have these irrational actions? You know, what do we do? I
1: agree. And I think no. it's it's the way we tell our stories. Once again, uh, representation. Um, you know, maybe looking at a different format that's not the traditional format of journalism. Um, not to say that it hasn't worked, because you know it was set in place for a reason, and this is how we've done it for years. But there's also change for a reason as well, um, and adapting to to new situations, like I said, that would be beneficial for uh, the viewer and the person that the story is about. So I think it's you know uh, it would be beneficial just across the. U.S. to maybe even evaluate um, the process on how we report journalism and how we report the stories um, and how can we be less biased in our stories, uh, you know, whether that's towards race or gender or, or, or anything of that nature, you know. So I think it's just really a restructuring of the system together and being and being um, bold enough to to even stand up to do it. Not to say that you got to fight the system all by yourself, but I think if we come together collectively um, and decide that, you know, hey, there's, there's better ways that we could uh, get the, the story and the, the positioning out there, then maybe change will start happening.
0: <laughs> it's like, yeah, how do, you, how do you reinvent the wheel sometimes when it comes mm-hmm. to re- re- redoing and, and, and rethinking the way we focused the media? Um, and propaganda sometimes is a, mm-hmm. it plays a part of that. Did you see any type of that stuff happening firsthand when you were in the newsroom?
1: Um of course yeah. Um and then once again I worked for um you know a CBS and an ABC affiliate and I would say probably more a little bit you know more on the the CBS side because sometimes ABC is is really strict with their with their hard news but I mean it's everywhere. Um you know and it's not escaping that because once again um a lot of formats are given in a lot of procedures in the newsroom are followed from ways that has been set forth many, many years ago, which once again, not saying it's outdated, but once again, like you said, we need to reinvent the wheel on how we're telling the story. So it's always present. Um, and even, even network news as well, you'll see it, but they just, you know, uh, present it in a better package uh, sometimes. Um, but it's, it's always there.
0: Yeah, and I feel like we could probably go on this topic over and over again for and, and for for hours at a time. To be honest, but I want to get back to your documentary stuff. When you were doing the research for growing up Milwaukee, how did you just decide? You know, decide these are the specific things I want to focus on to break down how your documentary flowed? you know, I mean, how did you, did you kind of storyboard it a little bit, you know, or from your stats or how did that go? I know you had to base some of it on the actual footage you gather, but yeah.
1: So for, for me, because I took the operation, I mean, the, um, observational approach, um, I use what I gathered kind of built to build the story um, in the editing process, um, which also <laughs> worked out for me because, you know, sometimes you may get absolutely nothing and you're like, oh my gosh, we you know, we filmed. And it's like, how do I put this together? Um, so basically, um, you know, I did go on a whim to say like, My story is going to be based on, I did have an idea, like, you know, I do want certain experts to kind of talk about X, Y, and Z. Um, And as we were filming, when I noticed, you know, I would put a pin because we filmed for two years. So we were basically in pre-production for two years. Um, And then the real magic happened, you know, when we we got our first round of funding and we actually started filming. Um, So once we started filming, um, I would take like storyboard uh, notes to say, you know, we did address this or this happened there. Because once again, I didn't know exactly how long. We would be filming, you know, and I knew in a perfect world, we do have a a indie budget, but then again, I didn't want to, you know, cap you know, even if we did have to, you know, I would try to make a way out of no way, you know, even if we did have to film a little bit longer to continue to bring their story around fully. Um, So I did take like mental storyboard notes um, when crucial things would happen that we would film with them once again, that I wanted them to be able to share their unedited truth. um, And I didn't want to force them to be able to like, you know, say, well, maybe you should do this, or maybe you should do that, or maybe we want to know that, you know, I just allowed their process to flow and also introduced them to organizations that would be able to, um aid them in whatever they were doing. A prime example, like with Tiana, you know, before we met her, she was already working on music. She was already, you know, writing and producing, but she never knew that there was a hidden gem right in her city. Um, you know, that's available for teenagers um for free, you know, for the cost of, of, of teenagers to be able to go to utilize to cultivate your gift. Um, and so we introduced, you know, that was more on a strategic end, like Tiana, like we need you to meet them because Um, You know, they can help you and aid you along the process that you're not, you know, out here on your own, um, you know. Uh, that they can help you cultivate your gift. So things like that, where I made sure, you know, wherever they were in their life, I tried to meet them there, whether that was introducing them to someone and that kind of helped me um, with the storyboarding. And then when we were actually done filming, um, I did the reverse with the experts and I made sure that I crafted all of their interview questions um, that would hit points on what I was able to pick up from the youth and what we were able to film over the course of the two years so that they could talk exactly to that. I didn't want to go in and say, well, let me maybe give them, you know, a ballpark of of questions and see what what I can draft out of it. No, I was very strategic. Like, you know, this is the area that I want to touch upon. Why is this, you know, at that moment? So that's kind of how I crafted the story.
0: That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I I always love to hear how these things come together. Um, Because, you know, putting the thought into it and just dealing with what you've got and making a story just out of random footage in in some cases you know some cases it's designed but mm-hmm. in other cases you're actually following your I mean even in the in mm-hmm. designs area you're wanting to try to find the real authentic- authenticity authenticity mm-hmm. of what's happening and and, and with you know Markwell Brandon and, and Tiana you you see that in each one of their storylines mm-hmm. and it's it's just so fascinating to see them and, and and how much inspiration they they still try to have in them mm-hmm. themselves even though they've been thrown bad cards left and right mm-hmm. sometimes things that he do is self-inflicted it's it's amazing when you watch the people that talk to them like when Brandon got expelled and, and he had to explain why he got expelled you know you, you see people actually take, you know, cons- mm-hmm. a concerned approach towards him and say, you know, hey, you know, you know, these are things that we maybe think about not doing. I know the things may mm-hmm. not have been intentional, but then it sets you back. But it, it's fascinating to me to see people taking so much involvement. I wish we had more involvement in youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do you, wh- what are your thoughts when, when we should be approaching in youth, and, and especially because, you know, every teenager is going to act up, mm-hmm. you know, but how, how should we really be approaching, you know, our youth?
1: It's just kind of you know meeting them on their level. That's what I learned. Like because once again, even when I was growing up as as a teenager many years ago. Teens for myself, and and, and I don't say that I speak for everyone in my generation that was teens about, you know, 20 something years ago, but our biggest issue, uh, or struggle was, um, you know, as a, as a teen girl, like not getting pregnant, um, you know, not hanging around the wrong crowd, um, you know, not smoking weed, not all pills and X, Y, and Z and this, that, and the other, you know, uh, and back, you know, with the say no to drugs, that's when we were like younger and, you know, they had that whole movement. So we knew that, but that was our biggest struggles. But now I feel like because they're facing so many other variants that we have to say, you know what, let me meet you on your level. Don't let me assume that I know. Don't let me use my own experience to understand you. Let me see exactly where you are, because I want you to know that I see you. I understand you. Um, and I want to know what it is that I can do, um, you know, to, to assist you. And sometimes that may be absolutely nothing, but being a, you know, a listening ear or that might be, you know, a voice or a resource. But I think as adults, you know, we can be as, a, as resourceful as possible, um, to see what level can we meet these youth on. Um, and I think that's just across the board in any city, whether it's, you know, a small city, a rural city, a major city, you know, um, we can, we can always be resourceful and see what can we do, um, even in our own communities um, to be able to help and aid the youth
0: absolutely absolutely it's a a struggle to even get communities behind that sometimes especially mm-hmm. on the political spectrum because you know they want the funding to go other places that's more lucrative for for the city mm-hmm. and not put an investment in something that they think is not profitable mm-hmm. and 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 I think that's a focus that, that we really need to put on because they're 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 missing potential profit i, I I'm, I'm not kidding I, I believe that that whole community those communities that are rural they're struggling sometimes mm-hmm. or even in inner cities that are, are are the same way where there's no funding you know the stores are mm-hmm. shutting down you've got to go further away from your your neighborhood to even get to a grocery store you know if we put the investment back in it i think we're gonna get a return out of it nobody's wanting mm-hmm. to do that
1: yeah and it's it's just so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. And sometimes and I know we could probably go on for that days as well, it's political.
0: Oh yeah. You know, it, and it's an
1: agenda. Um, behind it, And I think that's what made uh, me also want to focus in on some of these grassroots organizations um, that I was filming with, because they're like, you know, we don't need for you to be able to pump your dollars in this. We're going to take our own dollars and we're going to tell our, you know, our boys that we care about you. I'm going to fund my own book. I'm going to publish my own book and I'm going to get out there, you know, and link up and see if I can get in these schools. And, you know, whether it's a huge contract or not to say, you know what, I have something that these kids need and I'm willing to give it to them and I'm willing to put myself out there even if it's digging in my own pocket. So that's some things that, you know, I felt was very pivotal with even being able to show that people are on the ground running day in and day out. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, a multi, uh, you know, uh, or a hundred thousand dollar contract or anything like that, like it literally could be i'm pumping my own money into this, but I believe in it so much i'm so passionate about it that i'm not going to wait for me uh, to get permission to be able to uh be great with these young men, so I really respected that with a lot of organizations um that I ran across and filmed with in the actual documentary.
0: you know what's disheartening is sometimes that that people who do come from these environments that do thrive you know they've left mm-hmm. they've gone out made major careers for themselves or even been very successful entrepreneurs sometimes don't go back and mm-hmm. and, and reinvest well for sometimes it's, it's based off trauma you know mm-hmm. obviously you know they don't want to go back to something that has is mm-hmm. haunted them but at the same time you know you got to think in order to make something bad better we've got to reinvest in it mm-hmm. yeah, even if it has caused us some disheartening what how do we get people who are successful that have come up in these environments that know the ins and outs to go back and maybe start to reinvest?
1: Um, And and I can actually use myself. I know that I'm just getting started. Um, And I love to say that, you know, I'll probably end up on the moon, but Milwaukee is always home, you know, um, I'm not uh, necessarily from Chicago but I consider it at home as well I have family there my my father um, is from there um, but I feel like you know going back to your community is one of the best things you can do whether that's just um, you know not as a resident there or just you're setting your presence there because it's telling people that I didn't forget where I came from um, and like you said sometimes it is um, associated with trauma and you may not want to return there because it may you know bring up some some memories and things that may not be too fond of you, but I feel like it's so much more powerful for you to show that, you know what, I want to give back to my community because someone poured into me. You know, most of the times those successful people that kind of leave the community or go, whether that was your parents, whether that was your village of friends or, or family or people in the community, someone took the time to say, you know what, Jonathan, I care about you and I see the potential in you. So I think that that just allows the community to say, you know what, she does care or he does care or some magnitude and they're giving back um to show that you know all hope isn't lost um in this city in this area in this focus um so i think it is important um on all levels to be able to to go back at some point um and to be able to contribute um whether that's financially uh just being a resource um you know doing uh campaigns or um just being a voice it it matters and people people hear that and people see it and it they understand when you do get back
0: that that is really really good advice, and 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 some of the things that you were saying there, I was like, oh wow, that's really inspiring, you know, that, it, to, to think about and and to put yourself out there. And, and, and one of the things that I think about too is sometimes they don't have to do it in person; mm-hmm. they can do it as you know, a gift through another company or mm-hmm. or, or something that way to give back. Uh, and then sometimes they can even give back silently. That's another mm-hmm. thing if you really don't want your name associated with something like that. And, and there's so many different avenues and so many different uh, inspiring. Organizations now that, that I find really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, when you approached the groups that you were working with, which, what was one of them that you found that just stand out above the rest? Mm,
1: I would say, um, and this is once, uh, once again because uh, the example that I use as far as like really dipping into their own funding um, was probably the Flood the Hood with Dreams. Um, and interestingly, uh, two men that were in the documentary. Uh, found it together, but we didn't see them together on the camera. So that was Muhib Dyer, um, who we saw in The Spoken Word. We also mm-hmm. saw him kind of narrate. He was kind of like almost our narrator. We saw him the most um, as he kind of flowed through the documentary and then also Kwamanah Nixon. Uh, so they... Uh, are two co-founders of Flood Your Hood with Dreams. And I believe that probably out of all of the other organizations, they're the ones that are probably like the most grassroots um, where they actually put their own money and their own funding. Like a prime example, I know one of them actually gives out um, a $500 scholarship that he gives out his own pocket to um, young men who are going to to college, you know, who write an essay and then they're able to, in turn, you know, bless that young man um, with the $500 scholarship. So I was most... Um, I would say, you know, inspired by them, because once again, they may not have that structure and all of the grant money that are coming in like a lot of the um, other youth based organizations that probably have um, had a, bit, a little bit more solid foundation with um, establishing themselves as a nonprofit and all of those things. But yet that didn't stop them they're still going out. Like I said, they're still, you know, pumping into these youth, even with their own money. So I I highly respect that because it says that, you know, we're not waiting because I'm the queen of like, I'm not going to wait on permission. I'm going to go do it myself or, you know, how they say like, um, you know, build the table. Like that's what they're doing. Like don't wait for a seat at the table, build the table. Um, So I highly respect uh, those, those two Kings just for being able to get out there uh, no matter what.
0: And Mr. Dyer on the on that documentary was just so fascinating, mm-hmm. and to hear his spoken word poetry was was just powerful. It was really powerful, and, and and that 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 was a guy that I keyed on as well in that documentary. So that that is really really fascinating that those two came together on that. I didn't realize that.
1: So. Yeah, and it's interesting that we don't see them on camera because when right. I um, a, approach both of them, um, when we see the opening scene. Muhib was supposed to be there, but he I think he had a conflict with scheduling that day. So he couldn't come to um, to that actual session that they were doing in that uh, in, in the middle, not middle school, but in the high school. Um, so I was just so excited to catch him on the back end of filming. And I said, I, I knew that I, I told him, I said, look, I know I need to have you in this documentary. Um, I know that we didn't get a chance to uh, see you on camera interacting with the youth. But you have to, you, you have to be in this doc. And, you know, he was opening like, sister, I, I got whatever you need. You know, I'm here for you. So, um, I was excited for the reception, um, of just even the people allowing me, even in their lives, you know, because, um, being an indie filmmaker, you know, I didn't come, even though I, I'm on HBO Max with the end of, of, of distribution, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, it's not an HBO original. So I didn't come say, Hey, you know, we're going to be on HBO. Then everybody be like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll be in it. You know, I'm like, Hey, I'm an indie film. Um, I'm, I'm putting this documentary together. We have a, a non-existent budget and, you know, I, I'm here and I want to tell these stories. And they, you know, opened their arms to me. And I was, I was excited about that. So, uh, very appreciative and, and blessed for the reception of being able to film with me.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't had a chance, go out and watch the video. It's, it's, it's amazing. And if you got HBO max, like I did, it was a no brainer just to flip it on and just watch it and let it roll through. And and it's so powerful. It really is. I keep saying that over and over. So it's got me interested in seeing what do you have in store for us next?
1: The sky's the limit. Uh so <laughs> I am uh once again, like I said, I'm I'm based um both in Chicago and Milwaukee. So I just plan on continuing to uh build the company. I'm in my sixth year um as a uh production company that can produce uh whether it's our own content and or for studio quality films, um, to be able to produce whether that's documentaries, whether that's narratives, and just keep getting the ball rolling um and building and being able to be an awesome creative hub even for uh creative as they come. Um, and I would like to not to say like employ, but deploy, because I want them to continue doing, you know, the best. I don't believe that they have to necessarily come work with me and retire. Um, I want them to flourish in whatever, you know, area is their purpose. But, um, when they're with me, I would love to make sure that they're also cultivating their gifts. Um, and we're coming together to tell some awesome and amazing stories. So that's just what I continue to plan on doing is just continuing to, uh, forge forward um, and making it happen and bringing great stories, um, um, believing on a studio and that le- worker level.
0: That, that, that is cool that you're, you're wanting to put that investment into mm-hmm. other people so that they can flourish too. That's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyshawn, you know, if anybody wanted to find out how to get a hold of you or more information about you, where, where can they go?
1: Awesome. So they can go to my website, um, which is uh, www.wartlaw, wardlawt tvcom Also, um, all of my social media platforms, um, which is uh, the name of my company, which is Wartlaw Productions on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. um, And then my personal, because I'm trying to tweet a little bit more. My tweet game is a little off, but on Twitter. Um, it's at Tyshawn Wartlaw, so T-Y-S-H-U-N and then Wartlaw, um, as well as my own personal, um, Instagram, which is, uh, Ty, T-Y, Wartlaw. So definitely come, uh, you know, send me an email on the website. Uh, we would love to connect and even, you know, possibly partner, um, with people who want to tell amazing stories if if it goes with the vision and, and, and everything aligns. So, um, I'm here and I'm ready to connect.
0: If there was any advice you could give to anybody that's wanting to tell their own story out there, what would you give them?
1: So from the filmmaker's perspective, I would say, go for it. Um, And I think I'm I'm probably the most radical person and optimistic person like people would want to meet because um, I'm I'm always talking about positioning um, and you never know if you, if you don't get started, you may not know all the answers. You may not know how it's going to turn out. Prime example, um, when I set out to create the Growing Up Milwaukee documentary, my objective was I'm taking this film national. I didn't even film it yet, but I knew that that was my objective. Um, So I would say find an objective, find a goal, find a purpose, and you go after it. Um, Even if you get knocked down, get back up. Even if you don't have funding, uh, go find it, crawl under a rock, and or maybe even start without it. But make sure you get it done because if you never do it, um, you know, the ideal is just going to die right where it is, an ideal. So I would say execute it um, and go after it.
0: Tyshawn, thank you so much for for coming on our show. And hopefully we can get back together and do some more interviews for some of your future projects.
1: I would love to. And thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure.